Welcome to the Property Investors Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an upload. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Enjoy this week's show and don't forget to share it with all your friends. I'm Russell Leeds. I'm Ricky Mandel. We're going to be discussing how much money do you need to have in order to be able to retire comfortably. Can you rely on pensions or do you need to get into property investing? So, interesting thing, Ricks. I was looking at a website, not that sort of website. <laughs> I was looking at a website called retirementlivingstandards.org. Okay. And what they, basically what they do is they say how much money a retired person needs to be on per year in order to live either a minimum life, a moderate life, or a comfortable life. So let me, let me, let me go through this and then we can see where <coughs> you'd end up if you relied on a pension. So first of all, for a minimum style life, this is for... The money would cover all your basic needs. So you'd have enough to do some DIY around your house, living the dream. You'd have enough to decorate one room per year. So you couldn't decorate the whole house, but you could paint one room. What happens if you've got like a really big house and it's 10 bedrooms? Well, you probably wouldn't Take if you're on, on this. To... Take 10 years to pay. You would have 54 pound a week for food. This can't be up to, like, this isn't right now. This is right now. £54 a week for food. How much do you reckon? You, I reckon I spend that a day. Well, when, we, when I come to your house, we, we go for that nice lunch and oh, that's, that's already that's, Yeah, that's already that one. I, pr- I probably spend 10 quid down coffee. Yeah. Seriously, crazy. Uh, transport, it doesn't say what transport, it just says no car. So I'm guessing it's maybe a bus pass. You're retired, you get up for free. Yeah. Uh, holidays and leisure, a week and a long weekend in the UK. That would be the sort of holiday I used to take when we were kids. It's like you could go to Wales, but we never in, went in to In a five star, in a nice, maybe, maybe not five star, maybe a four star hotel. We, we used to go camping, bro. Oh, you know, camping, man, really? camping in Wales. Mate. We, that's we, not my kind of vibe, that is. That's not my kind of vibe now either. I, like, <laughs> I don't understand why anyone would go camping for a holiday. Like To me, it's nuts. Why would you go on holiday anywhere where the living conditions are worse than your house? True. Why not just stay at home? I, honestly, I do not get it. Like, oh, let's go and sleep on the floor under a sheet. And when it rains, it floods. <laughs> when it and rains. wet and cold. I like, you used to have like two, our tent had like two layers. You had the outer layer, the inner layer. And the point was if they touched, then the water would come through. Touch. And they always, you, they, mate, they always touched. We always got soaked. It was awful. So that, that's, your, that's your life, right? And to live that life, you need to be earning, uh, well, I say earning, you're not earning it, you're getting it as a pension, uh, 12,800 a year, right? 12,800 a year to live that life. Now, I'm assuming that these figures, uh, they, I'm assuming that they assume that you've owned your house outright by this point, right? If you didn't own your house, you had rent on top, you'd be in more trouble, but let's assume that, right? Next, from moderate lifestyle, this gives you a bit more security, a bit more flexibility. You know, you get some help with maintenance and decorating each year. You get £74 a week on food. So really, oh, you know... We get a, we, we'd be able to have, live, a, have live, a drink with our lunch. Living the dream. Uh, you get a three-year-old car that you can replace every 10 years. Um, and you get two weeks in Europe and a long weekend in the UK every year. And £791 for clothing and footwear. Uh, and for that, you need 23,300 a year. And then the top level here is our comfortable level, which you get um, a kitchen, 
or bathroom every 10 to 15 years, £144 a week on food, a two-year-old car that you can replace every five years, three weeks in Europe, and one and a half grand for clothes and footwear. And for that, you need to be on 37,300, right? So that's the kind of levels that they're saying we need to be aiming to get to. Right, now, most people probably in the room are millennials. I'm a millennial, you're a millennial. The average millennial has £22,049 currently in their pension pot. I actually don't know how much is in my pension pot, but this is what the average millennial has. So I went onto a pension calculator and I thought with a normal person that's got £22,049 in their pension pot, if that's my starting point, I put them on an average salary of 36 grand a year, average salary 36 grand a year, and what I said was, is that I would contribute 4% of my salary, which is above, slightly above the average, 4% of my pension, of my salary, I would put into my pension. Now, do you know what workplace pensions are? Where you work, maybe you... Where you, you work will match you, yeah? Right. So if you put in 4%, they'll put in 4%. So I put all that on, right? So I've got, starting with 22 grand, 36 grand a year, 4% from me, 4% from my company, goes in. I've also put, I'm gonna retire at 68. Because if you want a state pension, you don't get that till you're 68. And to get a state pension, you need to have 39 qualifying years of paying your national insurance. So I'm going to assume that you've been a good boy, Rick, so you've done that, right? Have a guess how much money, with all that in place, you would earn, well, you would get given, roughly, in your pension once you got reached 68. How much do, a I mean, year? What do you guys reckon? A year? 25 over here? Less than 10? It's actually 22,700. Which I thought, that's not that bad. It's only a little bit below the moderate living where I could get a three-year-old car and keep it for 10 years before replacing it. I thought that's not that bad. However, here's where it kind of all falls on its face, right? Those living figures that we just talked about, the 23,000 a year, that's now. Now with this, I put this as if it was me, um, so as if I was 34, and I was retiring when I was 68. So that is in like 33 years time, right? Now, I know that inflation at the moment is crazy. Inflation at the moment is like 8%. But on average, over the last 30 years, Inflation is typically around about 3%, right? So let's assume that inflation stays the same for the next 30 years as it has for this 30 years. That 12,800 that you need for that moderate lifestyle where you're allowed to go camping and you can spend like peanuts on food, that 12,800 suddenly becomes 33,949. That 23,300 for your moderate lifestyle, suddenly becomes 61,799. And that comfortable living where you got to go to Europe and all that, that was 37,300, suddenly becomes 98,932. So what that means is that that 22 grand would be the equivalent of getting 8,566 pound a year today. So what this actually means is, if you're just relying on a pension, even if you've got a decent job, I mean, we looked at UK salaries a few, few months ago, 
And we saw that if you're on 26 grand a year, that puts you in the top 50% of earners in the UK. 26 grand puts you in the top 50%. It's on the average salary, but it still puts you in the top 50%. So if you're on 36 grand and you work all your life and you're on a state pension all your life and you're in a job all your life and you're, putting, you're getting your work to contribute in, you're getting the government contribute in, you're putting your 4% in, you're going to be left on the equivalent of about eight and a half grand a year in today's money. Scary, so, isn't it? So what that actually means is that we are sleepwalking into working for the rest of our lives. You will never retire. You'll never retire from this. It, well, just, it just doesn't cut it. And that's because your pension pot, it's, it's, I guess the principles are similar to the bank, isn't it? It doesn't go up, it well, shrinks in value. And yeah. everything else goes up. But what's kind of, the first load of stats that you said, it's interesting because it's, it's almost like if you work, 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 then when you retire, you're still going to rece receive the same, if not less money than what you were working for anyway. But now you just don't have a job. But yeah. the, the quality of lifestyle is just going to, it's not going to be, you work all your life. And really, the idea of retiring is to reap the rewards of what you've done over the course of your life, really. Yeah, and they did a survey, and oh, I say sleepwalking, but uh, apparently a lot of people kind of are aware of this. Tw only 25% of millennials think they'll ever be able to retire. Say that again. Only 25% of millennials think they'll ever be able to retire. So 75% either weren't sure or think they're gonna have to work until they die in order to, to live. So if pensions are so rubbish, what's the solution, Ricks? Huh. Well, the solution is to put your money into assets that appreciate over time, go up with inflation, and also pay you a passive income. So then <laughs> your, your pension would just be a bonus. Yeah. If you have a portfolio, I know land, uh, landlords that have massive portfolios that are paying them, well, Samuel's one of them. Samuel's got a portfolio that pays him six figures a month. So <laughs> if Samuel didn't even get a pension when he retired, yeah. he'd still be getting that money coming in. And the, be the beautiful thing about properties, even if you're not clever with it, even if you just buy properties, over that sort of time period, you know, when you retire, we're talking, you know, for me, oh, I'm talking like... A couple of years. A couple of years, yeah. <laughs> for me, I'm talking, talking like 34 years, right? There's a, there's a very good chance that it's going to have doubled like three times. Here's a question for you. You know when you retire, so what some people do is when they retire, they sell off their portfolios and then they live off the profits that they've made from the portfolio. But some people keep the assets and live off the income that's coming in from them. Would you sell houses to then live off the profits or would you want to keep the passive income until you die? I think it totally depends on your situation. So, I mean, for me personally, I would 100% be looking to live off the passive income because that way I, I keep the asset. However, let's say I own... No, but you're going to keep the asset until you die. Yeah, I would, yeah. Yeah, yeah but, but let, I, I would do, but there is a situation that I wouldn't. If I only own, say, three properties and they were buy-to-lets and they were bringing me in, I don't know, so let's say I was making 500 quid off each one a month, so one and a half grand a month, I might think, why don't I just sell one of them and get like, well, by that point, how much is it, that much that property going to be worth? Who knows? Why don't I sell one of them and then just live off that? I'm going to die in 10 years anyway. Do you think you'd reinvest the money for the next 10 years before you die? 
Or do you think you'd live off that money? I don't think I'll be in that situation because I think I'm going to have enough properties that I'm going to have a passive income where I'll be absolutely fine. I won't need to sell them, but I'd have no issue if I didn't. I don't feel a responsibility to leave money to my kids. Ooh. Some would argue with that. Some might. Well, I, I don't have kids, so I can't. Let me argue with you. I said the same thing to like um, Anna's, my, my wife's mom and dad. Right, they've obviously owned a house. I would be more, I'd be delighted for them. If they sold the house and went on cruises around the world and lived in the Mediterranean for the rest of their days and had nothing left to show for it at the end, I would pat them on the back and say, well done, what a great decision. You, you had an amazing retirement. I wouldn't be sitting there thinking like, oh, that's my money. Because it isn't my money. It's their money. They earned it, not me. And my parents are the same. I don't, I don't expect a penny from them and I never have and, and now I will leave money to my kids but I don't feel obligated to at all but go on then argue with me why do you feel that way why, why do you why, why, why do you feel that way well, that's not an argument I'm just repeating what I'm just repeating what, what you said why do I feel that way because let's throw, throw it the other way around now and look at why I, I think about that way about my parents and my wife's parents what, why do they owe me anything when I grew up I didn't have a lot of money right my parents didn't have very much what did that mean that meant I had to do everything myself so when I wanted to learn to drive right I was 17 I wanted to learn to drive no one bought me a car no one paid for my driving lessons I had to do that myself and I was determined to pass my test as quickly as possible. So I, I, I found the cheapest driving instructor and it was a three mile, the, the closest they would come to pick me up was three miles away from my house. So I used to walk the three miles to do the driving lessons and then I would walk back, right? And I was motivated to want to, want to and I had, a, I had a drive to want to succeed and I wanted to better myself and I wanted to set up my own business, I wanted to do stuff. My worry with my kids is I don't want to give them too much. I want to give them opportunity, but you know, we, we, strong men, strong or strong couples or strong whatever, create weak men and weak couples because they have everything handed to them on a plate. Oh, it's very, very, I'm very, 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 very careful with what I give to my kids. You might have seen Samuel did a, uh, a video on TikTok. It went viral, got picked up in the Daily, Daily Mirror and the Sun and everything. And it was like kind of criticising him, but kind of leaving it open, where he didn't let his kids go in first class with him on the plane. Do you guys see that? Yeah. yeah, and he put the kids in economy with the nanny, and then he walked through and he was like, I don't want to spoil my kids. I earn first class. When they earn it, they can have it. If you give it them now, they just get used to it. And then it's a shock then, because the real world's not like that. The real world is a hard, tough place. And you learn more when you're struggling and when you're striving and when you're doing it for yourself. If you just get given it on a plate, it becomes meaningless. So I hear what you're saying, I, and I, 100%, I think everyone here is hard or be in the right place. We all want what's best for our kids. We all want to give our kids stuff and I, I do plan on, I don't plan on not leaving the money I do plan on leaving money for my kids I'm just saying I don't feel any responsibility to because they're their own people yeah, 100%. yeah so but you're gonna your I guess your aim is to bring them up in a way where they can fend for themselves make their own money and be their own that would be the best well I guess the, the, I guess the fear maybe for, for some people that are gonna give their kids money would be you leave them money and they do the wrong things with it they don't know how to 
what to do with the money, how to treat the money, how to invest the money. Is that, what do you think? Yeah, 100%. I, I see people like, uh, do you guys know Eddie Hearn? Yeah? So Eddie Hearn, boxing promoter. His dad was Barry Hearn. And Barry Hearn was a millionaire, super successful. And I'm not quite inspired by how Barry Hearn has managed to raise Eddie Hearn, because Eddie Hearn's done better than Barry did. So Barry, like, you know, earned the snooker, and he was a boxing promoter and a multi-multi-millionaire. But Eddie's taken the business to the next level. And I'm like quite like thinking, okay, how did he do that? So I like read Eddie's book talking about his childhood, and he was talking about his dad was really hard on him, wouldn't let him win. Do you know when you play games, you, oh, let them win. Oh, let them win. Why? <laughs> oh, man. Why, why, why teach them that winning's easy? Don't let them win. I play my little girl, Emily. She's eight. I play her at chess. I beat her every single <laughs> time. And she's actually quite good. She's actually, she goes to a chess club. She's decent. And sometimes I'm like, ooh, I'm a bit worried. Like, oh, she's looking strong here. And then I'll see her make a mistake. And I'm like, aha! <laughs> and I beat, I've never lost to her. When she beats me, She's going to be absolutely over the moon when she beats me at chess. She is going to be ecstatic. She'll be telling everyone when we go around, when we go around my grandma, her grandma's house, Grandma beat Daddy at chess. She's going to be over the moon. You can't get that if you give it them and let them win. I beat her every single time. She will beat me though. She's getting good. I give her two years because she's practicing. She'll definitely beat me. And that's going to be, she'll be delighted. And that's how you learn. You ha I think. I think. So you do not want to give it them too easy. You haven't got kids, have you? No. But if I did, I'd probably let them win at the games. <laughs> you know? The way you said it as well is like, I will never let them win. I won't. And, and that's what I was talking about Barry Hearn. Barry Hearn used to play like cricket with Eddie. And he used to like bowl the ball at him like from the age of like 10. Full speed. Always tried his best. And they're really competitive with you. I think it's great. You know? And the, the other thing that I don't like is where it's like, oh, it's the taking part that counts. Sorry? It's the win. You want to win at everything. I want, I want my kids to be competitive. I want them to want to win. I want to be winners. I don't want them to be the taking part that counts. What Nuts. would you do if Emily came home one day and she lost like the egg and spoon race and she was like, ah, oh, daddy, it's the taking part that counts. What would you say? What would you do? I'd, I'd say it's, it's, I'd say no. <laughs> I'd say it's not, it's not taking part. The thing is, I'd say, look, and this is another interesting thing, <laughs> talking about raising children. I don't know how we got there. <laughs> we were pensions. talking about pensions a minute ago. <laughs> so here's another thing that's really interesting. They, they, uh, have you guys read a book called Bounce? I've mentioned it a few times at the Academy Dinners and stuff. So Bounce, right, is a book about how, it, it basically, it says talent is a myth, right? We always think, oh, that person's so talented. Look how talented they are. Look, but actually, they got good because they put a lot of hard work in. And the problem with believing in talent is it takes the responsibility and the ability to change it away from you. So you, if you just say, oh, I'm not, very, I'm not talented at that. I'm not very good at that. I'm just naturally not good at sales. Naturally. What you're, what you're taking or what you're robbing yourself in the ability to get good at sales because you're owning the fact that you're not good, right? And what Bounce is about, it's a really good book. You should definitely read it. It's about how talent's a myth, and actually, it's hard work, purposeful practice that makes you world-class at anything. 
And they did uh, experiments with children, right, where they brought children in and they got them to do a task. I can't remember what it was, but let's say it was like a maths test or something. And after they finished the maths test, half the group, they praised them. And they were like, you are so talented. Well done. Oh, you're so clever, aren't you? Well done. Great job. For one half. The other half of the group, they said, wow, you must have worked really hard at that. Wow, that was a lot of hard work. Well done for working so hard on it. Then they gave them another test. And the ones that they praised for the talent, scores dropped significantly. And the ones that they praised for the hard work scores raised significantly. So when I heard that, I was like, wow, like I'm never going to say, oh, you're, you're really good at that. I'm always going to praise their hard work and encourage it. So if she said, oh, it's taking part, I'd go, the reason you're not very good at it is because you haven't practiced hard enough at the egg and spoon race. If you, if you want to win, you've got to practice, right? <laughs> egg and spoon race is so easy to be good at because no one practices it. We just all, t no, no, never in real life do you go, I'm going to see if I can balance this spoon with an egg on it and see how fast I can run across the room. If you practice that, she would win, easy. I've got, you're not the taking part. I, I feel like your kids are also going to be geniuses. From hard work. I, I hope so, from hard work. From hard work. They're not natural geniuses. Hard work beats talent. Every day of the week. I'm Russell Leeds. I'm Ricky Mandel. See you next week.